0: So let's go ahead and dive in. I do want to speak with you through a teaching on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is a quick Bible study. We're just going to walk through the scriptures. There's a fair amount of scripture this morning. Walk with me. If you have a Bible, open it up to Isaiah chapter 32, right in the middle of the Bible. Isaiah chapter 32, empowered the baptism in the Holy Spirit. At Mill Creek Foursquare, where Jennifer and I serve, we are currently studying the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The promise the purpose, and receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This morning I want to focus in on the promise and the purpose of, and just at the conclusion touch on how do we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now the study about the person and work of the Holy Spirit is vast, and this morning's purpose. Our goal is not a comprehensive study, for that's impossible, but at least a sufficient one that allows us the opportunity to really consider what it means to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit and to experience the life that we are invited into by the indwelling Holy Spirit. In order to succinctly introduce you to the overall narrative of the Spirit of God, the development of the Holy Spirit of God in the Scriptures. We've prepared about a four-minute video for you to watch, so let's go ahead and bring our attention to the screen. If you've
1: ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic
2: place, but then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there hovering, ready to bring about life and
1: order and beauty. Okay, but What is God's spirit? Yeah,
2: so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach.
1: Ruach. (laughs) Yeah,
2: you got to clear your throat at the end.
1: So what is it?
2: Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there is an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that is ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. (sighs) So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They have unleashed chaos into it through their injustice.
1: A new type of disorder.
2: Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others.
1: How will this new act of God's spirit happen?
2: Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. and At the beginning of his mission, there is this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River.
1: Yeah, the sky opens up and God's Spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This
2: story is saying that God's Spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life
1: where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's Spirit is at work. The earliest
2: disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus.
1: This is the beginning of new creation. Yes,
2: and it is still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit.
1: And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples.
2: So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit.
1: And so, today, the Spirit is still hovering in dark places.
2: Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit.
0: Four, Four minutes and you understand the overall narrative of the role, the work, and the person of the Holy Spirit as the scriptures would describe it. So this morning I have two points. If you're a note taker, these are your notes, okay? And the first is this. Let's go ahead and start here. The promise of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The promise of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So as the video narrated, we understand that from the Scriptures, God's redemptive work for fallen creation includes this pouring out of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will be alive and active. And we see Him initially come upon specific people for spectacular tasks. Namely, we see him come upon prophets, priests, and kings, those who would serve Israel, and by serving Israel, thereby serve the known world through Israel. But a change occurs in and through Jesus. And I want to trace this change with you through the Spirit or about the Spirit through the scriptures historically. So I want to walk with you quickly through three prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Joel, and Ezekiel. You're going to see an Old Testament timeline. I show this to our church all the time. Essentially, I am known for my maps and charts at our church. They just wait for it, and they laugh when we throw one up. I love this timeline. Now it's very generic because you see a lot of prophets clumped under one particular area, but there are two dates I really want you to focus in on 722 BC and 586 BC. A lot is happening in what we today would, would be known today as Israel. At this time, there are two kingdoms that constitute what originally was Israel and is today modern day Israel. The northern kingdom is known as Israel. The southern kingdom is known as Judah. And these three ancient Hebrew prophets minister during this time. So the first is Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied from 739 to 701 BC, meaning he prophesied and lived ministered during the time that the northern kingdom went into exile to a nation known as the Assyrians. Then you have Joel. Joel is a very difficult prophetic book to date. The main thing in Joel is an ecological disaster, and you'd think, well, okay, that helps us, we can date it from that, here's the problem, enough ecological disaster happened in the ancient world that we just don't know which one this is, right? However, from the contents of the book it's very fair to to surmise that Joel ministered sometime between the fall of the northern kingdom and the fall of the southern kingdom in 586. The temple is still active in Joel's prophetic messaging. But then we get to Ezekiel. Ezekiel ministers right at the time when the southern kingdom, which is the hub, right? There's Jerusalem, there's the temple that southern kingdom would go into captivity to the Babylonians. Think of modern-day Iraq, essentially. And these three prophets give us promises from God, right? The covenant maker and keeper, Yahweh, our Father. And they help us with this promise of God's Spirit dwelling in us. So as we approach Isaiah chapter 32, I asked you to turn there. As we approach Isaiah 32, we're at a transition point in the messaging of this prophetic book. It's a very long book, and essentially the first 29-30 chapters, Isaiah is proclaiming God's judgment upon his own people. Now, God never just brought judgment simply to be punitive, but he always brought judgment to cleanse his people. In other words, the end of the goal wasn't punishment, the end of the goal was returning his people's hearts back to himself. So judgment always had a purifying purpose to it. And so Isaiah is declaring that their long-term rebellion and hard-heartedness towards Yahweh would result finally in God's allowance of the consequences of their rebellion to fall upon them. But that's not all that he is promising them. And in fact, now that we land in Isaiah 32, here we are reading about how Israel is initially called to mourning over what they're experiencing, the pain that they're experiencing. But after the mourning, we read this. Until the Spirit is poured out from on high, poured on us from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field. When a fertile field seems like a forest, the Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. That's the Hebrew word shalom, by the way, which is this enormous comprehensive construct within Israel. It's the idea that while we're broken and fragmented people because of the presence of sin and the curse of sin upon our lives, God's shalom is the answer, His wholeness. Where we're fragmented, He's whole and He breathes His shalom upon us, and we become more whole with Him. So God's peace, and the fruit of that righteousness will be shalom. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwellings and secure homes and undisturbed places of rest. Though hail flattens the forest and the city is leveled completely, How blessed will you be sowing your seed by every stream and letting your cattle and donkeys range free. So we understand that where there is devastation and ruin at present in Isaiah's ministry and among his own people, the Spirit, what God will do is after He will pour His Spirit out and there will be fertility, there will be abundance, there will be God's wholeness to address the brokenness. And how will this be realized? It will be realized not by human will or effort, but it will be realized by the people's fresh submission to God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit does not have anything to do with your willfulness or your exertion of power. It has everything to do with your willingness to submit to God. Okay, now let's jump to Joel 2. Joel's prophesying somewhere probably immediately after the prophet Isaiah. And here, Joel is reminding the people of God, of God's character, that He's slow to anger, rich in love, full of compassion, right? Yahweh attached His character to His name. When Yahweh revealed His character name, His covenant name, his character name, in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses, he attached his character to the revelation of his name. I am slow to anger, rich in love, full of compassion, loyal to a thousand generations. And so Joel, on behalf of Yahweh, is reminding the people of this because again... Judgment is at hand, but he's saying, would you rend your hearts before this holy God, this compassionate God? Rend your hearts, return to the Lord, Joel says. And then he says something that has become the most meaningful and often quoted passage by the apostles in the New Testament regarding how they explain what the church is experiencing in the Holy Spirit. Joel 2 Verses 28-29, through 29, and afterward I will pour out My Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on My servants, both men and women, I will pour out My Spirit in those days. This is quite a change where the Spirit had once been poured out on specific people for spectacular purposes, now God is saying through His prophet that He's going to do something where He would now pour His Spirit out upon and in all who call upon Him. And this has become my rallying cry for our own fellowship. When I go and pray on Thursdays over over our church, I go into our sanctuary and I begin to lay hands on every chair, not because I like the chairs, but because I really like the people in the chairs. This is what I pray. God, pour your spirit out. You said you would pour your spirit out on all flesh. You said you would pour your spirit out on young and old, on sons and daughters. Pour your spirit out. Bring freedom and life and wholeness and peace. Where we are broken, bring your wholeness. Lord, minister to marriages. Heal broken places. Bring the ministry of reconciliation into places where there's just disaster and destruction. You are the God of all hope. Would you breathe that hope afresh in and through your people into this community? Joel 2, 28 and 29, I will pour my spirit out on all people now in concert with this Ezekiel prophesying after Joel now says this Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 24 through 27 here's what he says I will take you out of the nations I will gather you from all the countries and I will bring you back into your own land I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And don't be confused by this, right? As you're a student of the Scriptures, if you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, he often will use the flesh as the representation of that which is rebellious to God and will not submit to His rule and reign. That is not what Ezekiel here is doing. He's suggesting that what God would do by his Spirit is take a heart that's unresponsive and unwilling to heed his way and instead give a new heart that's soft, able to feel, able to yield, that will learn to follow God. So, what the Spirit of God would do would take God's decrees and begin to write them in us, begin to write the words of God our heart I will give you a new heart and you will be stirred by me you will be moved by my spirit to actually follow me I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws and notice the language of the prophet I will put my spirit in you it's not just the spirit coming upon you so that you can show up for an important day But I will actually abide in you. I will dwell in you. And I will become he who abides with you. The the promise of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Okay, now let's jump to the New Testament, right? So we, we understand historically that God promised through his prophets that he would do this work of the Spirit and as we get to Jesus and the proclamation, His teachings about the Spirit, He actually says this about the Holy Spirit, it's better for you if I go, because if I go to the Holy Spirit, He will come, and that's better for you. Often I think we would say something like this, well, I could just see Jesus, I would follow Him, where Jesus understands that the better construct is not Jesus in front of us, but Jesus in us by the Holy Spirit. It's better for you if this happens. And by the way, this is my Father's gift this is what the scriptures say look with me Luke chapter 24 this is the final some of the final moments of Jesus he has resurrected from the dead he has appeared to them they are bewildered in fear astonished joy I mean you can imagine it all Luke chapter 24 this is what it it says then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures which is such a wonderful verse The very scriptures that these men had been raised in but did not understand, Jesus now unfolded to them. He now helped them see Him and what He would do through the Spirit through these scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance, the turning, For the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. What is Jesus referencing? The very things you've just read. I am going to send you what my Father promised. What Isaiah told you about. What Joel told you about. What Ezekiel told you about. What my Father has promised you. But stay in the city until you have been clothed, immersed, baptized with power from on high. The Holy Spirit is described as what my Father has promised you. And we're going to look again momentarily at this Luke 24 section. But let's go ahead and acknowledge that here the promise of the baptism in the Holy Spirit meets the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So that's our second point this morning, the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Look at me very quickly before getting back to Luke chapter 24, first at Luke chapter 3. Because here in Luke chapter 3 we have the description of the ministry of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is ministering unto Israel and he's inviting them to do the very things that the prophets were describing, to repent, to rend their hearts. And it was exemplified in the act of going into the waters of baptism. This was one of the ways that they practiced repentance. And by the way, ancient Israel practiced repentance. In fact, repentance and baptism went hand in hand. It was viewed as one of the ways that one would cleanse oneself to present oneself before God. If you go to Israel, we go every other year as a church. I know that Pastor Mark has gone with you and I imagine that you will go again. But when you go to Israel, you will actually see something called a mikvod, which is a ritual bath, it was a place of baptism. So as Israel is going to John to practice this, he is inviting them into repentance. And here's what he says. When many people, right, the response to John is so considerable that many people are beginning to say, hey, John, are you the the Messiah? Are you the one we've waited for? And he says this, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you, in or with the holy spirit and fire. And that's where we get this vernacular, the baptism in or with the holy spirit. He will baptize you holy spirit and fire. He attaches this imagery of fire to the baptism of the spirit. Why? Well, anything that isn't intended to last will be consumed by the fire. But everything that's worth something every right Think of putting like metal into a fire. The fire burns away the dross, but when you pull it out, it is purified. It's more pure than when it went in, and this is the imagery, that God's going to purify your life. You are of utmost value to Him, baptism of fire. This will be a work of purifying, of cleansing, of being actually baptized into, have you noticed His name? Holiness. You will be baptized into the way of God, the character of God, this cleansing work. The Greek word for baptism, it's baptizo, and it means to immerse in, literally, to submerge or to overwhelm. That's the meaning of the word baptism. So you could baptize a pancake in maple syrup just as you can baptize a human being in water. This baptism would be the the thing that would accomplish the cleansing and the purifying work. Okay, so with this in mind, let's go back to the Luke 24 text. Luke 24, right? Jesus opens the minds of the disciples. Let me give you understanding to texts you've never understood until this moment. And then he tells them that this is what the Scripture promised. I had to die. I'm I'm now raised from the dead. And now, this gospel message, the gospel of Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, the forgiveness of sin, the opportunity to repent, to turn from our own dead-end ways, and to turn to behold the God who loves us in Christ. That this gospel would go out to all the world. And he actually says this, you will be my witnesses. What you have seen, you will now speak of, and you will invite people into an experience with me, the one that you have beheld, the one you have experienced. But he also says this, as witnesses, don't you dare go and do anything to represent me until you have what I have. Don't go and represent me until you get power from on high. What did Jesus have? He was baptized in the Spirit. At the moment he was baptized in water by John to fulfill all righteousness, the text tells us that the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. He was baptized in the Spirit. Every bit of the ministry of Jesus was done by the power that came by the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so he actually tells his disciples, don't represent me until you got what I got. And that's the same for every disciple of Jesus in this house today. The Greek word for witnesses is martus. It's the root word, it is the word, for our English word, martyr. The word can simply mean an observer or an experiencer of something that then we relate to another person. So maybe you've heard about evangelism and the construct of witnessing. Good! We are called to embody our faith in a way where the message of Jesus becomes believable to those who would observe us. Amen. This is, in large part, the purpose Of the baptism of the holy spirit but how many of us i wonder out loud how many of us are trying to make known the way of jesus without the power of jesus to actually make it known something for us to consider but here the construct of this greek word martus yes an experience or somebody who has observed something and then relays it but also this word can means that we become so convinced of something so rooted in something that we are willing to carry it unto death. In other words, it becomes the hill we're willing to die upon. It becomes Chamberlain's Little Round Top in our lives. Sorry, I had to throw that out there. I don't have time to tell you how much I admire and love Joshua Chamberlain Little Round Top. I did sit up there for hours years ago when I came for the first time and quietly Yell out, bayonets. I did do that. Okay, so. God promised to give his spirit to all people. To put his spirit in people. And the realization of this comes in Acts chapter 1. I'm almost done here. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus gathers his disciples for a final time prior to his ascension into heaven, and they question him on the timing of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God for Israel. And Jesus answers saying that essentially such knowledge is not for you to know, only the Father knows these things. However, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so then from our very brisk walk through the scriptures regarding the promise and the purpose of the Holy Spirit, we understand this, that God promised to pour out His Spirit for the purpose of causing His people to have hearts for Him, empowered to walk a new life as witnesses of Him. Would you look with me up on the screen? The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is supernatural empowerment to walk a new life through faith in Jesus Christ that testifies or witnesses about him. This is the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Supernatural empowerment. Every one of us in this room needs the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Every day we walk out our faith is a day of spiritual warfare. You need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Every day we walk out is a day in which people around us need to see and hear the life and love of Jesus in and through us. You need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. As a follower of Jesus, as a confessed Christian in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, you cannot do what Jesus has invited you to do unless you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need the baptism of the Spirit. I need the baptism in the Spirit. I need it every day. Every day I'm inviting God, would you freshly fill me, baptize me, immerse me, move me by the power of your Spirit. I need you, God. I can't do this without what you've got to do it in. Need the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just conclude with this, and Daisha, you can go ahead and and come on up because I know our time's up. A very, very quick rendering of my testimony. I was raised in the church by wonderful parents. I am a product of good parenting. Whatever I am, I largely owe it to my parents. They love me. They were first-generation Christians, by the way, who came out of a lot of dysfunction. But my experience growing up was vastly different than theirs. I was raised in the knowledge of God. I don't even know when I got converted. I don't even know when I prayed the prayer. I don't even know what to say. I was raised in the knowledge of God. Every night I was tucked in, and every night I heard the same thing. Chris, I love you, but Jesus loves you even more. And the way my parents manifested their faith made that statement so easily believable for me. It was easy for me to believe upon Jesus for myself because of how genuinely my parents believed in him. By the way, that's the goal for every one of us kids in the room, isn't it? That our kids would so easily be able to believe that Jesus is who he says he is because we not only confess that, but that's just the way we live, that what you see is what you get, that who you are here is who you are on Tuesday night at home. And so that's my story. But it was in my early teens that this faith that was out there became what was in here. And I, it was the Easter season, and I went to uh, a passion play, essentially, at the church that that my family was a part of. And there, one of the ushers played Jesus, and he was actually depicted as hanging on the cross. And really, I lost sight of the usher who handed me a program every Sunday morning, and I saw Jesus, and I remember running to the front and just, Lord, I, I love you too. And it was about two nights later that I was watching TBS. This was back when TBS would play the made-for-TV movie Jesus of Nazareth every Easter season over and over and over again. And so I remember where I was in the living room. I was laying on the, on the floor. I was watching Jesus of Nazareth on this enormous TV that doubled as a piece of furniture, right? Golden hued with wood. It was egregious. It was terrible. But that's what was there. And I was watching Jesus of Nazareth and the crucifixion scene. And I don't know how to explain it, but I was baptized into the love of God. I didn't ask at that moment for it. Now, a few days earlier, I had responded. I was baptized into the love of God. I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that Jesus loved me. It was the most inexplicable and overwhelming experience of my life. In fact, I began to weep, tears running down my face. I remember my dad asking me, what's wrong? I said, nothing. I just know that Jesus loves me. I know it. And it was from that day that my hunger for God took off, my desire to read the scriptures took off. I wanted to get baptized in water. I believe this. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit before I got baptized in water. That doesn't fit a lot of models or right formulas. But there it was. And my life with God took off. I just want to invite you How do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, how do you receive anything in the kingdom of God? By faith. As you have believed upon Him, so also now receive the baptism of the Spirit. Ask, believe, receive. That's it. Trust Him. And yeah, you can keep reading in the scriptures. Yeah, there's gifts and there's fruit and everything attached to the person and work of the Spirit. But how do you receive the baptism of the Spirit? Ask for it in faith. Can we do that right now? Would you pray with me? Father, dear Abba, in the name of Jesus, I bless this fellowship in Gettysburg. Thank you for them. Now I ask that you would pour your Holy Spirit out upon us, even in us. To every one of us, Lord, would you cause us to be empowered and infilled by your Spirit? Would you draw us to you Would you give us intimacy of relationship with you? But all the more, Lord, would you also now begin to make us more and more like you in character? Lord, that the representation of who you are through us would be accurate, humble, kind, loving, just, pure. And that, Lord, that our lives and the fruit of our lips would speak about who you are. Fill us, baptize us in the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And would you say with me, amen. Could, could you just
3: keep your eyes closed for just a second? I just want to pray over us, just something that the Lord put in my heart as Chris was finishing. <laughs> Two things. I, I believe there's, there's many of you here to, today that you've intellectually known the Lord. You've made even decisions for Him. And maybe a troubling point for you has really been, I just felt in my heart that, you know, you don't, you don't want to go into the emotional things. L- listen, Chris's tears were not the source of, of what happened. It, they were a result of an experience, in a sense, an encounter in a very real sense with Jesus in that moment. And I, I pray for some of you that you wouldn't get caught up in stumbling blocks of having to feel emotions or even feeling like it needs to be an emotional thing. It's not an emotional thing. It's an encounter with the person really is. It's, a, it's an encounter, and experience with Him. And I pray that over you. Don't get caught up in the emotions of it, but, but in the encounter of the experiencing Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He is, he is here to bring awareness to Christ. But then secondly, and this is silly, but just with your eyes closed, I just think for some of you, you've just really gotten dry. And I had this silly image, but I think it's so good for some of you, is my son, Zachary, was five, that when he said the pancakes, I always pour syrup on, on Zachary's pancakes. And inevitably, he says to me in a minute later, he says, Dad, would you just pour a little over here on the side? I'm like, Zachary, you have plenty. No, I just, I need a little reservoir on the side, Dad. I can dip them. I, I just pray for some of you that, that really your prayer today is not just... A simply a saturation of like syrup on pancakes of the spirit because you've had that you've had that experience but i believe for some of you it's been a long time mm. and my prayer for you right now is that you wouldn't act even like zachary's silly dad who says no you've had enough but that you would come like a child again and say daddy like fill it on the plate fill it over here so that i can continue to dip into that i believe that's the spirit of paul that just says you must be filled with the spirit and continually be filled, that our prayer would be today that we haven't had enough or it wasn't enough at summer camp or at that time 10 years ago, but God, would you just fill the side, the side of my life over here that I can continue to come back and be saturated again and again with a fresh encounter Mm -hmm. with you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. No matter how long it's been, it doesn't matter. Today is a new day to have a fresh encounter and saturation with your spirit. God, do that in us today, even as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you just thank uh, Chris today for that that message and? Um